is, is so great and uh, greatly to be praised. And so I know we are <coughs> living in the last days and I realize that um, I, I realize that, that so many of these things are funneling together and I would tell you, you know, if you've ever uh, worked with a funnel on any level, uh, it's as it sort of goes down the neck to the very bottom, it goes faster and faster and it uh, feels like, I think for all of us, uh, that that is what is happening. And uh, I, I realize uh, that, um, you know, when you look at who would have believed, um, it, it, who would have believed um, that, that we would be living in a country, we would be, we would see what happened in Afghanistan, we would see what has been occurring in uh, our nation and then uh, just overwhelming sense of, of statements and things. And, and I, I know I, I, uh, I have read, um, <clears throat> you know, we, I have read uh, about and seen and people talk about uh, Revelation, the 17th chapter, Revelation, the 18th chapter, and, and how that, you know, a one world government, a one world uh, entity where <clears throat> the things that are going to feed that uh, is an overwhelming, in fact, um, dynamus, the Greek word for a supernatural power. Uh, it, it says almost uh, a dynamus of, of uh, uh, consumerism, if you look at the Greek, uh, a, a almost supernatural, uh, that sense of buying and selling and, and a whole level of, uh, of uh, what the Bible calls in the King James sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmacia, which is like drugs. And, you know, you may say that, oh, um, you know, we don't have to worry about the drug companies and we don't have to worry about, you know, what's going on. And I think people are, are realizing, you know, that there's a, uh, a group that will meet and they, uh, the World Economic Summit or the this summit or that summit, and they talk about resetting uh, the world and getting all the economies in line and, and working in a global plan. And, and you say, well, is it the mark of the beast? Well, no, but I will tell you that all of these things are just funneling us right down into where, you know, we don't buy or sell without, uh, I mean, if you're on Social Security, you got to have an account. You got to have a number. It's got to transfer to your bank. It's got to do, you know, this is what happens. And, and I, I, I get it. I, I get it more and more because of COVID. You know, we do things electronically and, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's there. And it's a, it's a moment that we have known 
was coming and we realize is on its way, but uh, in the midst of this, will the enemy do his best to get us off track? Sure, but greater is he that's in us, amen? And so the hyphen class started this week and it's open for anyone, but they ask at the end of last year, they ask if indeed um, we would talk about uh, <coughs> the uh, sense of, um, if we would talk about uh, spiritual uh, uh, warfare. And so I started uh, talking with them on Monday night and gave them a handout. And I, I began to, as I was looking at that, I began to kind of, I had that on my mind and heart and I uh, began to explain and, and not for you all, I know most of you have heard and known and all of those lessons and we have tried to record those Monday night lessons but you're welcome to come, we'll probably be meeting in the fireplace room until we get this room, uh, prayer room fixed and for those of you who, um, wonder, well, why are you dragging your feet? Believe it or not, the supplies aren't there. And so, God bless you. Uh, we're doing our best. We've got, uh, in fact, I'm meeting with a different guy tomorrow. And Anyway, but that's another story. So, uh, the point of it all is that we uh, were looking at um, the, and I called it tonight, D2. Uh, which is DD, and my dad's initials are DDS. So uh, it's not Donald Delbert, but it's the devil's devices is what I called it. And I am uh, going to spend some time, and I've got a handout, because there are numerous of those, and for the, uh, uh, for the hyphen group and that Bible study, I'm going to be talking about it. Good to see brother and sister Gatton here. Lord bless them. I know they've been struggling with <clears throat> all of this breathing. And then uh, sister Gatton, uh, brother Arnie kicked her in the leg or something. No, it wasn't that. But uh, she had some problems with her legs past Sunday. But we're glad all of you are here. And, uh, but the devil's devices. And what, is, what are his devices that are, are coming against the church, and I, I probably will share some of this with them, but I, I thought I, I will go into it in a different manner with all of you, and I, 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 that verse is there in 2 Corinthians, the 2nd chapter, the 10th verse, and the 11th verse, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sake forgave it I in the person of Christ. In other words, what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church is you've got to learn how to forgive. If you don't have mercy and forgiveness flowing through you in this hour, you will get overrun. Because somebody's going to do something to offend you. That's the spirit of the hour. In, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, many shall be what? Offended. Offended. And, and, you know, I, I know... Uh, I'm, I'm not an easy one to forgive and I probably am like an elephant. I don't like to forget. You know, all right, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget it either. Um, but uh, people are so easy to get offended, like on the airplane, in the car, huh? Just 
anywhere, everywhere, and you realize this is one of the devil's devices. Things offended me. Things bothered me. And so Paul told the Corinthians, he says, you've got to learn to forgive lest Satan get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. And so unforgiveness is in fact one of the great devices of the devil. And I, I, don't, I don't want a show of hands of anybody been wronged, anybody been done wrong, anybody been slighted, anybody here ever felt like you've been done wrong? Don't want to, I don't want to ask for that because it doesn't do any good because it would be 100%. Now, maybe you say, well, nobody in church has. Well, that's good. Well, you're blessed because you're lucky. Because, you know, at some point in time, you know, you're going to find yourself offended. I mean, I, you can say, well, I would never be offended. I, I mean, I, you know, it's amazing. We, we, we can offer free uh, pulled pork on Sunday night and somebody will say, well, how come you didn't have any pork and beans? And I'm like, I'm sorry. We did good. We gave you slaw and root beer floats. Well, but I like, okay, I'm sorry. I, and it just happens that way. I, I want a banana pudding with it or something, you know? And I just can't believe. And, I, it, and you say, oh, well, nobody here. And I, I get it. And, and I'm thankful that uh, I, I didn't have that happen to me Sunday night. I was in and out. I had to go pick up my wife at the airport. So I didn't get to stay around. But <clears throat> you can get offended that somebody didn't pick up a chair or didn't clean up their mess or they didn't throw it away. I'm just saying, at some point you've got to keep forgiving because Christ forgave. John, the 10th chapter, Jesus showed us the difference between the devil and his, what his devices are and the plan of God. The thief cometh not but for to steal kill and destroy. We quote it all the time. And I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so he was talking about sacrifice for the sheep and I realized that was part of what um, he was, Jesus was saying. I, this is part of where I am. Now, Paul Later on in Corinthians, we uh, <coughs> says in the 11th chapter, but I fear lest by any means <coughs> as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. What does that mean? <coughs> Usually we're not getting hit with something that <coughs> we immediately know this is a spiritual attack. You know what I'm saying? I don't think about it as being, oh, this is spiritual. I think so-and-so just made me mad. <laughs> and it's not. I'm not. I don't equate it as being spiritual. It's too subtle. <clears throat> the spiritual implication, I don't see it right away. Anybody found that to be true? All of a sudden, something, thanks for the lyric, something happens and I 
I, I feel an attack and I feel all of a sudden my spirit change. My attitude change. Huh? My emotions change. All of a sudden, I don't feel love, joy, peace. I find my flesh, my anger, my frustration, my fear, my anxiety. Huh? And I don't even think about it being spiritual. I, it's the subtlety. It's very subtle. And you go, well, are you saying that every, everything that happens is spiritual? Listen to me very carefully. Everything that happens can impact my spirit. It may not be from the devil, but the devil doesn't waste one opportunity to piggyback on whatever's come. Anybody know what you're... Immediately, it's like, oh, I, this happened. Oh, I, oh, what are you saying? I'm overwhelmed. And then before long, that's in my spirit for two or three days a week. Impacts my praise, impacts my worship, impacts my prayer. I just don't feel like I'm worried. I'm upset. I'm, huh? And that's why. And, and, you know, you've heard me say it. That's why in the Old Testament, the high priest was not supposed to tear his garments because there was nothing that was supposed to be so overwhelming because he got to go once a year into the presence of the Lord. And we get to go every service. And if the high priest shouldn't be allowed to tear his garment, how much more should we have to go, wow, I'm going to have to do something about that. But you know what? God, I'm turning this over to you. Yes. Amen. You say, well, aren't you devastated? Aren't you overwhelmed? Well, sure, I, I don't like it, but it, there is a subtlety so that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then he goes on to say, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Wow. The devil can even use everybody that's on whatever religious channel is not always... And now you're saying, well, which one's possessed? I, I don't know of any of them necessarily, but, I, you know, I've had people say, oh, I, I, I couldn't go to church because I saw a preacher and all he did was ask for money and I, I don't believe in God. They're all hypocrites. Okay, you have whatever, you can make whatever judgment you want, but at some point you're going to stand before God. And when you tell the Lord, guess what? They're all hypocrites. The Lord's going to say, and what was that to you? 
you, would, you should have been real. You should have gotten in there and praised me. You, you understand? And so when you look at that, after, of course, the uh, Pentecost, the early church exploded in growth, started experiencing human relationships, con human relationship conflicts, and pressure. And, and I, th what I, one of those devices of the devil was what he attacked the early church with was immediately, and, and I, I could begin at chapter 3, at chapter 3, there was that very sense of there was a healing and, and, the, and the Jews rose up against that. They threw Peter and, and John in the jail and they tried to force them not to talk in the, in the name of the Lord. And that's chapter 4. And then chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember they had all things in common. Remember that? And they all decided we're just going to bring our money and give it to God, give it to church. We're going to do this, promote the move and the transfer of, of, of what's going on in, in the world and just going to, we're going to, we're going to have that. It's an amazing thing. And I, I, I really probably should tell you, and, and I, I won't tell you who, but a young man that was a year younger than me in, in high school and, and uh, in Lone Oak, and uh, I graduated a year behind me, and, and uh, he came to church as a young man before he went to, uh, uh, off to college, and, and the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name, and he uh, ended up, um, going to college and he made lots of money he's done great and periodically over the years he would uh, send money back to the church and and this week he called me up and and he said now aren't your mom and dad living with you yes he said well you know I, you know I periodically will send money and he said I I, I, I sent some to loan up, but I want to, uh, the Lord really blessed me. I just really blessed me, and I, I need to send a, an offering. I said, that's great, fine, hallelujah. He said, $10,000 for the parking lot. He said, well, do you have anything? I said, yeah, we've been raising money for the parking lot. Said $10,000 check, hallelujah. I, I didn't ask him to send any money. I didn't call him. I didn't solicit it. It wasn't whatever. I, you know, felt that, felt a need to give and whatever. The, the point is that happened in the early church as well. They came and brought it. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they go, we brought it all. And then boom, fell dead. And then the wife came in, Sapphira. And, and boom, she fell dead. And great fear. And the church began to multiply and grow. Sixth chapter, the devil is doing his best to internally attack the church. Because that's what he does. Anytime there's going to be, you, you know, God begins to move and there's going to be this God's pouring out his spirit and so forth, don't ever get the idea, oh, well, God's not going to, you know, the devil's going to leave us alone. That, he steps up his attack. 
You can't be ignorant of his devices. And when you feel that pressure, that's the time that it's more important for you to be in the house of the Lord, more important for you to pray, more important for you to worship than at any other time. Now, we have a tendency to go, I'm going to withdraw. I just don't feel like, you know, I just don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like when I'm under attack, I must worship. Because there's some subtlety that the enemy's trying to get into my mind. You see what I'm saying? And so here it was in that day when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now it uses the phrase Grecians against the Hebrews. But be careful when you're reading that because it's not really the Greeks versus the Hebrews, it's the Grecians and in fact if you read it, at this point the early church wasn't even open to Gentiles. That didn't happen until 10 and 11. Okay, so there was no, these were all Jews. These were Jews, but there were Jews that what we would call were Hellenistic or they were, and, and they were understood the Greek language. Now, what does that mean? And I, I don't know what it means with regard to um, all the traditions that the Hellenistic Jews observed, whether or not uh, from the Greek, if they thought they were more cultured, if the Hebrews that were not speaking Greek felt like they were, you know, too uppity. I, I don't know what it was, but they identified these are Hellenistic and these are Hebrews. And, and I, somebody told me one time, uh, when I when I got here and said the older people that have been in this church the longest sit over here and then those that are the newest over here and then all those in the middle. That's really not true. But anyway, they were telling me, just remember all these are the old timers and they've been here the longest and then all these, all y'all are the new bucks, new kids on the block. And it's, it wasn't true. I began to look around and I thought, no, that ain't right because there's people that sit everywhere. But they were telling me that. But you know, it, it's easy to go, okay, here's where we are and here's where you are and here's where this one is. And so, and we divide up classes tonight. You know, this is the hyphen age and the young married age and then this is the youth age and this is, and we try to, you know, but all, we're all part of one body. But here they were, there was murmuring taking place and there was a reason. Their widows were neglected in, in the daily feeding. Now, why were they having to feed them daily? Because Acts of Fifth chapter, everybody had brought their money to one place and said, that's it. We're going to, because they truly believe the Lord could be coming back immediately. They were selling their houses, selling their property. Now, some people may say, oh, they, had a, they were crazy. Well, if you study historically, about 20 to 30 years after this first part of the book of Acts was written, Jerusalem was destroyed, and all that property was worthless anyway. So God may have actually put it in all of their hearts to do this because it was better to send these missionaries and promote the gospel than it was for them at that moment to have a house where it's gonna soon be destroyed, okay? 
So I'm not asking, we're not taking another offer. I'm not asking you to sell your house or your car or your boat or anything tonight. I'm just telling you that's what was going on in the early church. They had brought all their money in and they were all there. And so the church was basically, or the synagogues were feeding the widows that had, and the reason the widows was because they had no means of support. Their husband couldn't support them. Their uh, children were not able, whatever. Then the 12 were called to the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not, um, it is not um, reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint unto this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, these rapid changes that were happening in the church, 3,000 added in a day, these things that were happening, uh, growth, finances, <clears throat> the relationships, all of a sudden uh, the church became, the groups became ethnically uh, diverse so quickly, you know, because on the day of Pentecost, there were all kind of people that heard them. People from everywhere had come to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. They begin to get the Holy Ghost, and they were all now part of the church. And so they, it was kind of a, a rapid changing time. And when things begin to change rapidly, what happens to the stress level? Goes up through the roof, you know. Used to be you could go into a store and buy bread and milk and toothpaste and come home in, in two minutes. Now there are 782 kinds of toothpaste. 432 kinds of milk. Do you want it with almonds? Do you want it vanilla or original or... 1% or 2% or 0% or whole milk or goat's milk or with acidophilus or organic as if some milk is not organic these days. I don't Bread. You don't just get bread and it was great. You had wheat bread or or White bread, light bread. Didn't have that now. Now you've got potato bread and you've got seven grain bread and this bread and that bread and Hawaiian bread and flat bread and pita bread and low carb bread and on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just go down the bread aisle and you're now stressed out of your mind. Rapid change produces stress. So when you're having change, you know, you, it's stressful. And then differences become highlighted. The Greeks versus the Hebrews, the Grecians versus the Hebrews, although they were both Jews, uh, some may have just spoke Greek, some spoke Hebrew, maybe raised with a different culture. And they, they, they begin to murmur. And this, you know, was producing division. Uh, there, there, were, there were, you know, it's like, this isn't fair and this isn't right. And, and, and so the Greeks got mad and just said, we're going to leave. We're not going to deal with it. 
Is that what they did? No. They went to the 12 disciples, apostles, and they said, here's what's going on. We have a problem. And what's amazing is the apostles didn't say, look, we're the, we're the apostles. We hear from God, shut up, leave. We're not doing anything about this. We can't be bothered with it. You know, that's what a lot of people think. If I don't want to say anything to the pastor, he'll just, he'll get mad, he'll get hurt, he'll get offended, he'll get a whatever. So I'll just, it's easier for me just to take my tail and run. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm missing that. I'm missing that. I don't understand it because that, the early church, they, they went and the 12 did not criticize them. They didn't become defensive. They said, okay, what's the core of the matter? Well, you've got to understand our widows don't seem to be getting breakfast and the other widows are getting breakfast and, you know, maybe they live in another part of the city and so how can we get them breakfast every day? And so how, what did the 12 disciples do? They came up with a plan. They said, okay, we can work on that. That's real. They weren't just mad because I don't, I don't like all the Hebrews. They, they make fun of me. They look at me strange when I come in. They didn't have any of that. They had a real issue. And they addressed it. And they said, all right, choose seven guys. They found a solution. Real flexible, choose seven guys, fill with the Holy Ghost, have a good report, and let's put them on it and let them work this out. Good plan, right? And we see that here in this, now, you know, this was an area where it could have been disastrous. As you continue on in the sixth chapter, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And here he was waiting on tables trying to make sure that the widows got breakfast. You know, you could preach, I guess, a whole little sermon on that, that, you know, sometimes folks think that one position in church is more powerful than another, God is going to use anybody that's available. God will use anybody that will be available to do something for him. And the Lord used Stephen, full of faith, power, and then there were some from the synagogues, the Libertines, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, the Sicily, and of Asia. All of those would have been Greek and they started disputing with Stephen. Maybe that's because they went over, as Stephen went over to that area of town where the synagogues were, maybe that's what threw him in that area he was bringing breakfast. And so they started picking on Stephen and calling him out. Maybe the Hebrews had not ever been over there. And they said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and scribes came unto him and caught him and brought him to this council and set up false witnesses which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place, against this holy place and the law. 
For we have heard him say this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face, and it had been the face of an angel. What they accused him of was saying that the temple was going to be destroyed, which is ironic because this was already the third temple. It had been destroyed already. And that they're going to change the customs or traditions. And so they brought him before the high priest. Now the early church here had dealt with their difficulties. They had dealt with the difference between the Greeks and the and the Hebrews, although they were both Jews. But the Jews were, were basically so captive to their traditions that they wouldn't allow the truths and the principles to be taught or handed down, uh, you know, any other way. And I, we, we don't have that here, but the values, truths, principles were good, but recognizing the means uh, we use to transmit them as fluid. And, and the reason I say we don't have that here, and, and yet I understand. I mean, I realize that this church, as in all of our churches 50 years ago, we sang out of hymnals. Anybody remember those days? And somebody got to pass them out, and we passed them out, and you picked them up, and you'd hymn number whatever it was, and you sang out of a hymnal. And probably as time went on and people didn't sing out of the hymnal as much, people, probably nobody in this church, but probably some, I don't like all this new music, and I don't like all this, and I'm not sure about all of that. And then we, we got the words, and we put them on the screen, and I get it, and I understand. I am not a music aficionado, and my wife is familiar with numerous kinds and styles of music, and I don't, and, and yet, what is the purpose of music in church? To praise and worship God. As, and so, do we try to, do we honestly, actively try to, do all kinds of music, yes, and probably the one that I like, I enjoy, that is not done very much is bluegrass. Brother Bill and I like bluegrass, but we probably don't do that one very much. But it's uh, other than that, we do a lot of worshipful music. And we have a lot. Brother Jim will lead and others. We have old song. We have more new song. We have guitar driven and all, all kinds of music. Why, but what is the point? If, if we play a music and nobody worships to it, then it doesn't matter how new it is, how cool it is, how neato it is. You understand? And if we play music and nobody, the, why? Because there is a purpose to that. That is to engage us in worship and engage the presence of the Lord and to get us. And you say, well, I like it faster. I like it slower. I like it more jazz. I like more classical. I, hallelujah. But they 
put Stephen on trial for lies. Actually, they gave false witness and for traditions. And so, you know, they basically charged him that Stephen has been talking about this land, sort of Palestine and the temple. And basically he has challenged that this is not where we need to worship and that there are the laws and the customs of Moses. And what's amazing was they didn't understand the purpose of the land, the purpose of the temple, and the purpose of the traditions or the customs or the laws. Because you see, a lot of times when people say, you know, oh, I, I want to get rid of this tradition or I want to get rid of that, or it's just tradition that you don't do this or that you do that or that you have it. It, it is not... You have to say, what is the purpose of it? You know, because, you know, I, I realize, you know, maybe uh, however many years ago, I remember uh, one of the three sisters telling me she was playing softball and when she got the Holy Ghost, she felt like the Lord tell her to quit the softball, the lady softball team. Well, does that mean somebody else can't play ladies softball and do all right? Or is it just for ladies or is it just for men? Or just... No, but there was a separation. The Lord was requiring a separation, a come out from among them. And so sometimes people forget well, some of the purpose of some of those things. And yet if we make it a doctrine and we go, okay, this is a doctrine. You come to this church, can't play softball. Well, I mean, I know a lot of churches, and we used to have one too, have softball teams. Hello. So, you, you know, well, that's crazy. I mean, you know, you have softball team, and 50 years ago, you wouldn't let them play softball. Well, was it that you wouldn't let them, or was there a purpose behind all of that? But the enemy can get into people's hearts and minds and they go, I can't believe that the, that changed. And that's what this first big fight uh, and, and understanding, misunderstanding in Acts the seventh chapter was about because they didn't understand that Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to build on the law and understand the purpose of the law. In Matthew, what he said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law of prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, and now this is the next part of that verse that's powerful, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So somebody that says, well, it's just your tradition not to lie and not to steal and not to murder, no, he said the law is not going to pass. You keep reading in Matthew, the fifth chapter, because he, gets, he, he ups the ante. He goes, law says don't murder. I say don't even. The law says don't commit adultery. I say don't even. Look at a lady. Huh? Whoa. And so... The Lord did not come to destroy it, but he says, therefore, whosoever shall uh, break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, 
He shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness, your doing right, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so when somebody says, oh, I don't have to give, I don't have to pay my tithes because the Lord did away with the law and I can give it to whatever place I want. I'm sorry. That's not what this said. I mean, the Pharisees, they would get mustard seeds and count them out. Can you imagine that? Oh, a tenth of those go to God. They would, so what are you saying? That when somebody tells you, oh, well, <clears throat> it's fulfilled, and now I could, he said, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Say, so, well, pastor, that's, you're being harsh. No, I'm just telling you, the devil's devices is to make us think that we can interpret anything in the Bible we want in any way that we can. I mean, and I've had people say, no, no one here on a Wednesday night, but I've had people say, oh, I don't think the Lord meant that. I don't think the Lord meant that when he said that. And I'm like, wow, you're God? In fact, you're a little higher than God because you can judge what God was thinking. That's amazing. Your position is just phenomenal. <clears throat> Paul even said, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ where there is neither what? Bond or free, June or Greek, male or female, all one in Christ. What are you saying? If there was ever a time that the Lord wants unity Amen. in the body, yes. it's like the anointing. And you say, yes, but I don't like what so and so. I don't like what this one did. I don't like, let me tell you, at some point recognize there's a spiritual reason for that. Yes. It is to somehow get us disconnected from the body. Well, I don't think they like me. I don't think they want to sit by me. I don't think they... When I, when I got prayed for, nobody laid their hand on me. I got embarrassed. Nobody loved me. Don't go there. I don't care if anybody laid their hand on you or not. You be there and pray for everybody else that comes to the altar. Why? Because anything the devil can use to cause disunity. Well, pastor, you walked right by. You shook hands with everybody on the pew and you didn't shake my hand. I'm sorry, COVID brain. I don't know. Put it down that I just don't like you. I don't know. Forgive me. Pray for me. Be in the altar. Pray for me. Huh? I don't know no 
nobody's being, there's no disharmony. I'm, I'm showing you the early church. These are the devil's devices. And we just came through Sweet Corn Festival, and I am sure nobody got offended. I'm sure nobody got overworked. Nobody got smoke in their eyes, got hot, didn't get enough drinks, didn't get enough breaks, didn't get... I'm sure none of that happened. But had that happened, you got to forgive and go on. Boy, there's a lot of shouting going on tonight. <laughs> and if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's 8 o'clock. Seventh chapter, immediately they questioned Stephen. The high priest said, is this so? Is this what you preached? The destruction of the temple. And you can read the seventh chapter, and it's good to read. It's a great sermon. He talks about Abraham was in Mesopotamia. He received the promise of land and descendants. And the purpose of Abraham leaving Mesopotamia was that he would be a blessing to all the nations. And the the point was, you're going to have to separate yourself from your family by faith. I want to tell you, that's part of the, anybody that's going to live for God has got to at some point say, I'm living for God for me. It's going to be for my house. It's going to be what I want to do. I don't care what my wife does, my husband does, my children do, what anybody else does. I want to live for God. And that's what Stephen said. Then you go on, the next verses he talks about Joseph. And he talks about Joseph having got, had a dream and he was in Egypt. And he, well, the purpose of Joseph's dream was that at some point he was going to have deliverance for his family, for his immediate family. And so he was going to have to endure some things, some horrific things. And he didn't realize it. Joseph didn't know it when he got the dream. He couldn't imagine what he was going to have to endure in order for his family to be saved. God was going to use his own brothers to sell him into slavery and go down and Potiphar's wife to lie on him and all of that was for one thing, so that his family could be saved. I want to tell you something. When you decide you're going to live for God, you can't, I don't care. There is a, a, a you have got to make a conscious understanding. This is for my children, for my grandchildren, for my great-grandchildren. I am going to do, I, don't, I will endure it. I'm going to go forward. I don't know when, where. My kids may not live for God, but I'm doing this for the next generation. I'm going to hang on to God, not just for me, but for my family's sake. And then you have Moses, who was in Midian, and he received direction to go back to Egypt and to bring deliverance. And the purpose of the law was to give the law and then sin rejected. Wow. Was to give it and then see them build a golden calf. And his faith meant returning to Egypt, facing all of those things that he didn't want to go back. 
He didn't want to do that. But he did it for one reason. There was a nation that needed to be saved. Then on in the seventh chapter, he talks about Joshua, David, and Solomon. And that whole six, seven verses was about the tabernacle and the purpose of the tabernacle. In fact, he talks about the faith uh, means understanding the changes that were going to come. And S Stephen talked about how that there was a tabernacle and then there was a temple. And then he ends up those verses and he said, How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. That what house shall you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? What Stephen was saying is, you missed the point. There was a tabernacle, and you followed God wherever God went. You went where God went. And then there was the tabernacle of David where we worship and we praise God. And then there was a temple, and we came to Jerusalem. And now he is not really needing to dwell in that, but he wants to dwell in us. That's why we have the Holy Ghost. We are the tabernacle of the Lord. Hallelujah. The purpose was, I want to inhabit. And what, what Stephen was quoting was from Isaiah, the 66th chapter, and I, I know it's 807. I will stop. Uh, but Isaiah, the 66th chapter, starts off the first verse, thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you shall build me, and where is the place of rest? For all these things my handmaid, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Who is it? Poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. 